Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Lisa Callender, a clinician who will share how you can grow in your first responder relationship. You're listening to First Responders Bridge, the podcast. It's great to be back. Uh, We're joined today by a really dear friend who I've known for quite a while and uh, hopefully can provide all of us with some guidance, Lisa Callender. Uh, Lisa, would you take a, a minute or two and just uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and let them know a little bit about yourself? I will. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, I have worked with the City of Columbus Employee Assistance Program for a number of years, a lot of years. I'm refusing to say how many years now. <laughs> um, I'm a licensed social worker. I have a master's degree in social work. I'm also a chemical dependency counselor. I kind of cut my chops coming out of undergraduate school, working in addictions and drug and alcohol counseling, um, and worked in some treatment centers, went back and got my master's degree. And then I had the opportunity to come work for the city of Columbus. Uh, And since that time, I've really developed a fondness and a love for working with first responders and spent a lot of time walking beside our Columbus first responders to really learn about what is it like to be a first responder? um, What happens? What are the impact? What's the impact of the job? And then what can we do in the, from a clinician standpoint to be helpful, partnering with peer teams um, and other things that we'll get into today, I'm sure. Awesome. What, Lisa, what would you say is, uh, is different working with first responders compared to other lines of work? You know, what's, what stands out? What's um, different in, in counseling and other, other things? So I think one of the things that resonates with me now is like first responders are just like what you see is what you get. So, (laughs) and I'm a really direct person that really connects with first responders. Um, I'm not a person that uses big words or a lot of jargon. It's just like, what's going on in your life? Let's talk about this. Let's not beat around the bush. Um, And then let's deal with that. So we deal with what's going on currently. Sometimes there's things related to the past. Sometimes there's not, but let's just talk about what's working now. And um, I think that's a really important thing with more for, with first responders, um, in my experience. And would you say that uh, that helps them connect with you a little bit better? It probably does. It probably on. does. Right. For good or bad, you know, right. because I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. Maybe not well, always what you want to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. Lisa, when, when you uh, talk with first responders, whether it be fire or police, are there things that you see in common that... Uh, those people carry with them? So I talk a lot about the shield that first responders are required to have around their hearts in doing the job. Um, You can't personalize the runs that you go on. You can't personalize the bad stuff because that's the nature of the job. So you have to protect your heart, but then you go home. And so you have to learn how to put that shield away or to the side to come home and then connect with your significant other, your kids, your family. That's a really hard thing for all first responders to do is to switch gears. And so that is a definitely a commonality. What protects you and helps you on the job is not necessarily what helps you and protects you off the job. And so do you see uh, that shield that you talked about? How do you see that impacting relationships uh, between first responders and their significant others? It can show up by being disconnected, um, isolating, um, drinking too much. Um, I would say the general theme would be disconnected. Um, but then sometimes it's overly, uh, um, 
uh, being charged up too much. So it's either like emotionally shut down or everything is angry and irritated and agitated. It's about finding that middle ground that is what first responders, in my experience, um, need to do in terms of walking a healthier pathway with relationships. Seems like everything's kind of an extreme, I guess. Exactly, right? Yeah. Um, what, what are some other signs that you would say that you people may notice or spe- specifically spouses might pick up on um, with their first responders, you know, if to notice those differences? I think it's a, a weightiness. It's a weight being weighed down by the burdens of the job. Um, when you just see a sense of, you know, your first responder is troubled, they, they're carrying a load, um, and they're not verbalizing, they're, they're not getting it out, or they're not using a hobby, a hobby as another outlet, because talking isn't always the thing that's most helpful for everybody. Sometimes it's just fishing or woodworking or doing something else. But it's that continued uh, heaviness and the bricks being added on the shoulders, I would say. And then it's not going out anywhere. Uh, and then emotions either being shut down or exploding, one or the other. And so in, in those first responder couples, um, what is your advice to the spouse or the significant other or the non-first responder? What what guidance do you provide them when they see some of that? Well, healthy relationships are all about communication. So what's the foundation of a healthy relationship? It's communication. And communication, a foundation of healthy communication is listening. So what I say is, how are you doing with talking with each other, but how are you really doing with listening to each other? When I'm not feeling respected or honored by my spouse not communicating with me, that has the tendency to perhaps increase my anger, and I'm going to just want to come at them instead of asking them, what can I do to be helpful for you? So that would be a piece of advice that I would give, would specifically with couples to say, ask the other person how you can help them. What, and then that'll lead into then um, hopefully them asking you, what do you need from me? So kind of diving into those elements of healthy communication is what we talk about with all couples. I think it's also important to identify the first responders' um, needs in terms of when they get off the job, sometimes they need a decompression period. So if, I've, if I'm a firefighter and I've been on duty for 24 hours and then I come home, that's not the time to be hitting me with this, that, and the other, perhaps, and if I've been up all night as the first responder, so maybe I need to go and rest for a while. Identify when is it we're going to talk about these issues. But probably it's probably not when you come in the door. And same with officers who are working a shift or if they've been working a double. Um, identify that, you know, I need, I need some time now to decompress, but I'll come back together with you at whatever time, and then we'll talk about it. I, uh, I was reading a book about... I forget the I forget the name of the book. It was talking about five things, you know, five things I wish I knew before I got married. And that was one of the the things in the book. It was talking about having a listening time, um, especially if you're in the middle of a conflict, right? Having that time to sit and go, okay. Um, and I forget exactly what it said, but it said, you have five minutes. Tell me why you're upset about this, you know, and then I'll have my time. Um, and I th- promise to just listen to you during that time and not not retort back until it's my time. Right. Or yeah. think about what I'm going to say right. in the meantime. But I, I thought it was cool that you brought that up because that, yeah. that reminded me of that and how, um, you know, that's worked even in my relationship, just having time to sit and listen and yeah. noticing that difference. Another part of um, maintaining a healthy relationship or getting it healthier is identifying what the communication needs are when the first responder is on duty. 
um, I might expect that my first responder spouse should be in touch with me all the time, and I'm texting them and they're not texting me back. The first responders not able to respond because they're going from one thing to the next. So talk about that so that you can get on the same page about that. It's also important to identify if you're in the middle of a conflict, how you're going to deal with that when the first responder is on duty. Um, that's probably not the time. First of all, you shouldn't be texting con conflictual issues. Uh, but on an on-duty time is not the time to be talking about that because first responders got to have their head in the game. Right. I was a... Uh... I was talking to a clinician a, uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about how um, it's a good idea to have like a tier system, right? Especially when you're not able to communicate, um, whether during a shift or, or what have you. He said, have, uh, have different tiers depending on the issue, you know? Um, so if a spouse is getting worried that you can't communicate, well, why aren't you texting me? Is everything okay? You can text back, this is a tier one thing. I'm okay. I'm doing well. I'll talk to you here in a bit. Or say, this is a tier two thing, you know, physically I'm okay. Um, I'm a little stressed right now, but I'll get back to you. This is fine. And then tier three is like, I don't, I'm physically, I'm nervous, you know, but at least that way you're in the loop. You don't have to mm -hmm. give great detail, but it, it gives the spouse some idea of what's happening. That's a great idea. You know, something that I also share that, uh, in my own marriage, we used many years ago when we got married, a friend of ours gave us a couple's journal and she said, this is just a blank journal, but this is not for either of you individually. This is for you as a couple, for you both to write in as a way to increase your communication. And I've suggested that to numerous couples over the years. It's not something that everybody is interested in, but for some people, it's really helpful. And they find that they learn a lot about each other, especially if they're not talking so well. It's a way that I can write some things down. My spouse is going to pick it up and then write in it, maybe in relation, in reaction to what I said, or maybe just something else. Um, so I, I throw that out there as I throw out different tools or ideas for couples to try on <clears throat> for size. And, and I like that too, because it's something you can go back to, right? You can go back and look at it and go, oh, that's right. You know, she said that she really feels loved this way or that, you know, this is a way that she feels that I'm communicating better with her. So it's nice that you have that to go back to. You just got to establish you know. what, what are the ground rules and expectations for it? Because then we started having kids and life took off and we haven't done it for a long time, but it was really, it was really <laughs> helpful at one point in time in our marriage. Absolutely. Yeah. What are, you talked about some of the good ways that uh, couples communicate um, and address issues. What are, what are some of the uh, examples you could provide of toxic or bad ways that couples communicate or um, damage? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> at the top of the list is making assumptions. Because the more assumptions that I'm making, the more uh, erroneous that probably is going to be. Not checking out those assumptions to say, you know, I'm, I'm thinking this. Is this correct? Um, stuffing emotions, and then emotions come out sideways. And then it comes out that I get mad because the toothpaste cap, toothpaste cap is off, but it's not really about the toothpaste cap. It's that I've been stuffing emotions. I haven't communicated with you. And so I've got this whole pile of resentments built up. They have nothing to do with the toothpaste, but that's just how it comes out. So not communicating emotions and then uh, building resentments. And often when couples get into a clinician's office for couples counseling, we find there's a pile of resentments. you got to clear that pile out so you can start fresh because a lot of times people don't even know what it is that they're still holding on to. Um, those would be some of the biggest ways that I see can be harmful or toxic in, in relationships. I, I guess as we're having this topic, we also need to talk about alcohol use, 
you know, alcohol use can be a way that first responders deal with stress. It can, it's a way that a lot of people in society deal with stress. Um, and it's, so it's an issue that, uh, if it's in the mix in a harmful way, in a problematic way, um, you want to get that out of the mix because often you throw alcohol in there and then things get inflamed and impulse control goes out the window and there you go. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would say if a, if a first responder wants to, uh, is ready to find a clinician, right. Or is ready to take that next step or ready to get involved and, and seek that treatment. Um, what would you say is a good route for, for doing so now? I, I think a lot of, especially in Ohio, you know, we have some really big cities, but we also have some smaller, um, rural areas as well. Um, where EAPs, um, I know you said you worked for an EAP. Um, a lot of those aren't, accessible, right, for some of those areas. So what would you say for first responders who are ready to get treatment, um, and especially for those who may not have access to something like an EAP or treatment options like that? I say work your network. So at First Responders Bridge, we can be a resource. Uh, We've got, we're always looking for clinicians that we believe are first responder qualified, first responder friendly, et cetera. Um, uh, If you if the first responder has insurance, um, go to their insurance plan and ask their insurance plan, call there and say who on the provider list is qualified to be a first responder clinician. Um, Put feelers out in that kind of way. Um, I encourage everybody to vet any possible clinicians that they're thinking about going to. So call that clinician, um, ask, you know, what's your experience working with first responders? Um, there is a certification out there, but I go deeper than that. So how many first responders have you worked with? What do you consider when you're working with an officer or with a firefighter? Um, what are, what's important? How is your strategy different with a first responder than it is a non-first responder? Um, and really get down there in, in the weeds because, um, a lot of clinicians don't really understand first responders. And in my experience, I've, I get calls a lot from clinicians who want to work with responders. And sometimes what they say to me is they must have a lot of trauma, so I'm going to treat their trauma. And I say, well, they don't all have trauma. They're exposed to trauma, but they're well shielded to deal with it and navigate it. And sometimes that trauma does develop into post-traumatic stress disorder, but not always. So I would look for a clinician who doesn't make the assumption that all first responders have responders have PTSD because they don't. Right. And we've talked about that before, the difference between, you know, PTS and PTSD, because a lot of times I think a lot of first responders get hemmed up on that disorder. You know, like I'm, I'm not broken. I don't have a disorder. Um, and that's why even at the bridge, we, we've strayed away from saying it's not, we're not saying you have a disorder, right? There's, there's a difference between PTSD and acknowledging the mm-hmm. fact that there's some stress that comes up there and, and dealing with that. And stress reactions are a normal uh, thing that happens to human beings when they're exposed to stress. So we talk about that, that it's, we normalize that. Right. Lisa, um, you've been in the business for a short amount of time. Um, somebody that <laughs> I, I thoroughly trust and you've, you've dealt with a lot of different types of first responders, um, uh, different generations, um, different families. What advice uh, would you provide to a first responder family, a significant other spouse or the first responder that is ready for help. They're ready to talk to somebody, but they've never gone down that road and they're not sure that they're ready to trust somebody. What advice would you give them? 
if you have a peer team, reach out to your peers. Um, another officer, another firefighter has probably been in your shoes. And often first responders feel very isolated because they're not talking about this stuff. I think it is extremely helpful to walk that bridge of getting help when you know that a peer of yours who you respect has also been there in, in some difficult circumstances. Um, a chaplain can be that other person. Um, who, who can help you take that next step? Because it is a huge step to reach out to a complete stranger. It is a, a big step to reach out for any kind of help. So I think peers are enormously helpful in terms of walking that walk with their brothers and sisters. Um, and it, that might be all they need. They might just need to get stuff out. We have one first responder who's really active on our peer team that says he always needs to emotionally vomit. Not always. He needs to get his emotional vomiting out once a month to get stuff off of his chest. Um, that might be it. But then if not, then you can take that next step and get to a clinician, a chaplain, or whatever else is needed. Um, so building a support team is what we talk about a lot. And I think for family members, not being judgmental, not being angry, not being punitive, just walking beside your loved one first responder to say, you know, I want to help you feel better. So I would also say don't label, uh, but say, you know, I want you to be healthy. I want us to be healthy and have a good life. I know that's what you want. How can I help you? And then I think a follow-up to that, Lisa, is um, how have you seen first responders and their needs how have you seen those change and evolve, and where are they today compared to um, when you talked about when you first cut your teeth? I used to say that uh, at some point the floodgates were going to open because we did not used to get very many officers or firefighters that came into our office. And then people started to get help, firefighters and officers, and then they told their brothers and sisters about it. And then peer teams developed and then the floodgates opened. So it, there's while there's still a stigma out there, there's certainly not the kind of stigma that there used to be. I think first the, in the first community, first responder community in general, there's more acceptance and awareness that um, I'm not broken. I just got some issues I got to deal with, and my life could be better. And it doesn't mean that I need to have my gun and badge taken away. It doesn't mean I need to be pulled offline. It just means that I deserve a life, and I don't deserve to let this job eat away my life and take it over. I think being able to see that stigma being broken down is so powerful, right? And because it's so quickly, we can see it being changed. And we've talked about that with the bridge, how, you know, the, um, when people will sign up for the retreat, just how rapidly people sign up now. Like I was just talking to, um, we, we were talking about how we barely even closed out the last retreat. And now this one's already almost jam-packed people want to get in to get help and uh just seeing how quickly people are eager to get that help now um is so different than what it used to be you know um even when I was a kid people didn't talk about it my you know um I never even heard about trauma and stuff when I was a kid so being able to see how people are eager to get that is really is really good stuff I love our message of you're not alone and you just see our participants light up when we talk about that. And when we have the breakout groups where they hear their peers really talking from the heart, you just see them light up and connect. And it's, it's so wonderful that that happens. Absolutely. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and um, share a little bit about what you do and how you've, you've helped first responders uh, where, where you're at with your EAP. And um, you are a rock star when it comes to first responder mental health. So uh, we are so grateful that you took the time to talk to us and, uh, before we close, 
as always, we are going to share our praise of the day. And this week's praise of the day is out of Joint Base Anacostia Bowling. Um, I believe that's near D.C., correct me if I'm wrong. Um, some first responders there heard a call go out for a patron at the uh, JBAB gas station there going for a uh, patient going into cardiac arrest. Uh, they did not get dispatched to the call, but they immediately responded to it. And uh, so they responded to that call and uh, arrived behind a DC ambulance and were able to assist in resuscitating that patient. And I believe they received a, uh, an honor for that, if, if I'm not mistaken. So shout out to those, those first responders there and a, uh, a job well done. If you like what you're hearing from us here at the podcast, keep checking us out. We are on all platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, everything. So keep checking us out, follow us, and leave us a five-star review. We are so appreciative. If you like what you hear, and we're thankful that you're listening to the podcast, if you have suggestions about other topics that you'd like for us to cover, send us an email at info at firstrespondersbridge.org. That's I-N-F-O at firstrespondersbridge.org. Thank you again, Lisa and uh, Greg. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you. Likewise. Great to be here. Thanks, Lisa. We will see you guys next time on First Responders Bridge, the podcast.